Welcome to Progressive Love News Network. Radio. Welcome to Progressive News Network. I'm Janine Moloff filling in for Brooke Hines, although Brooke left us a uh, story today about her own vaccine hesitancy. I will play that first, and then we will get to the justice report. My vaccine hesitancy journey, take two. Uh, so, yeah, this is Brooke Hines. I'm doing a little segment here that stands alone for Janine, and I'll probably also use it on my show. But I've been promising people that I would share uh, more of what's going on with my vaccine hesitancy journey, which is, uh, I think, an interesting topic. You know, because um, who is, who doesn't have COVID on their mind right now? Who uh, who isn't concerned about their kids going back to school or school this or school that or dying from this virus or running out of oxygen so that we can't drink water in Orlando? You know, mm-hmm. things. COVID. And of course, we're all aware, but especially acutely aware this weekend yeah. um, <clears throat> that people are becoming very agitated against and very tribal about who's vaccinated and who isn't and uh, no one's asking why it's my complete intent uh, which i'm sure will get twisted to provide some information so that there might be better understanding uh, and finally in hopes that there might be more compassion shown for people who are struggling along this along this journey, shall we call it. So uh, this is take two. The first take I did, I did yesterday and tried to get my thoughts straight. And uh, um, yesterday I couldn't, I couldn't write notes because um, the tremors in my hands were so crazy that I, I I couldn't read my own handwriting and I was also having trouble uh, using a keyboard. Didn't matter which keyboard; they were all just a little too uh, too dang complex for me yesterday. So uh, so I tried to wing it, and it was a practice run. And here we are again. I'm back. Um, yeah, so I workshopped a joke for days this week, and I'm so proud of this joke, and nobody else liked it, but uh, it, it, it was uh, on the upside, COVID is teaching us how to uh, live each moment as if it's our last, and uh, and that's one of those, I guess that's not funny, because that's like a little bit too true, maybe. Also, I think it gets de-boosted, because, you know, anything that sounds like, uh, you know, uh, in any way, in real, in, in terms of having an adult understanding of life and death, and you know what the consequences are of being alive and then not being alive. Social media de-boosts that. You are not allowed to talk about life and death. Uh, no existential wanderings. You can't, uh, uh, you know, in the end of life anything is it is just absolutely frowned upon and there's all kinds of algorithms that uh crawl around 
on social media looking for, you know, suicidal is what they call it, but it, it's really just, you know, people talking about death. What they really want is people talking about uh, sex and violence. So, you know, they're they're trying to herd you back uh, over to where you where they would rather have you. Pretty damn proud of that joke. Now, I didn't use it for days because I was uh, certain that I'd either get deboosted or banned. And uh, I haven't really checked. I'm probably deboosted. Who knows? Um, but the way I initially wrote that, it was uh, I don't want to alarm anyone, but I'm literally living each day as if it were my last. But, you know, I thought about that for a while, and I thought that the the other way was better because it's truer. And it's truer because uh, I think that it's evident right now that COVID consciousness is kind of taking on a life of its own, and different kinds of people are taking it into different places. And things are, are accelerating within the discourse in ways that I find remarkable and terrifying. So uh, let's dig into this. The introductory part of this problem, like if I was to introduce the problem here with my own vaccine hesitancy, it's that... Uh, in 2003, I had a an infection in my spine following a bout of discitis, which is when the discs in your uh, spine get inflamed, which is a chronic condition I suffer from, which is part of a larger uh, family of syndromes, including uh, mast cell activation, which I'm finding out might be key to addressing some of these concerns is by going through the mast cell route. Uh, and that's very exciting news for me. Uh, all have to do with neuroinflammation, uh, brain stem, brain, spinal cord, everything gets goes, gets really freaked out and cranky and does freaky things from time to time. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's normal for me. You know, like I have migraines. Migraines are these little brain attacks. They're 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 really more closely related to uh, to uh, uh, epilepsy than they are to a regular stress-induced headache. As a matter of fact, you do the opposite for a migraine. You want to take a vasoconstrictor to stop the pain. You want to, and you have to, and I have to take medicine at least. 19 times uh, a month, 18 is how many I get, at least 18 times a month. I always run out. I'm, I'm always dashing to the, to the pharmacy on that last day to get more uh, Maxol, rizotriptan for, for my migraines. And migraines are but one feature of this uh, lingering chronic condition that I have after I had uh, an infection in my spine following this bout of discitis that occurred in 2003. So I, uh, in 2003, I'm healthy, 35-year-old, and I'm driving my car down to Florida from Nashville to work on the uh, family house to put it on the market to sell and 
move my mother out and find appropriate housing for a uh, you know someone on disability who's crazy uh yeah so that was it was so much fun let me tell you i it was a blast and uh i um i was to the point where i was just about getting there i was getting things done and uh did the quick claim deed uh i personally moved an entire roll off dumpster full of garbage out of the house uh Pulled down the entire cypress fencing around the backyard just by hand because it was that rotten and threw that stuff away into the roll-off dumpster. And I remember closing the garage door that day, manual garage door, old school, and a single-car garage, too. Those are those are pretty old school, too. Great old mid-century modern house on the beach there. And... I, it, it occurred to me, I was like, it is amazing that I have not thrown my back out yet. Oh, my God. I must be the luckiest girl in the world. And so I drive back to Tennessee, and I take care of some business. And this was this was kind of the thing, back and forth and back and forth. So I go to Tennessee. It takes care of some business. Uh, and I'm coming back down the next week to do another round of stuff. And I'm driving down, and all of a sudden, I feel really feverish. Like, I'm in Chattanooga. Uh, you know, and the drive down is from, from Nashville. As you go Nashville, Murfreesboro, Chattanooga, Atlanta, in and down through all of the the just most boring parts of Georgia that he that oh my God, it's so terrible. Um, and then all the way down Florida to to the central coast. I get to Chattanooga, and I was I was just past the the mountains. I was just past the fun part. And I was, I was so feverish, and I felt like I was going to fall asleep, like, immediately. It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon, by the way, and I'm driving my, my Miata 10th Anniversary Edition that I loved so much. I love that car. And, uh, and so I called a friend in Atlanta, a guy that I knew from high school who, who lived in Atlanta, and I, I like to talk to him from time to time. I hadn't seen him in ages. And I said, hey, Charlie, man, uh, is it okay if I drop by on my way down to Florida on this trip because I've got a fever and I really need to lay down and uh, it'd be awesome if I could just catch a nap at your place? And he said, yeah, sure. And what I forgot about Charlie is that Charlie's an alcoholic. And... Um, so we ended up drinking that night, and I didn't need to be drinking. I never need need to be drinking ever because of neuroinflammation. That's an that's an issue. But anyway, so uh, I was reminded of that. And Charlie is one of these guys who doesn't ever let your glass get empty. And we were drinking vodka and that Chambord. Is that what it's called? The like raspberry liqueur or whatever anyway uh it, it was like alcohol free like uh you know shirley temple tasting kind of drinks which is like such a lame way to drink i'm sorry but anyway uh so uh, i woke up feeling so bad like like if i felt bad when i was needing to stop when i woke up the next morning i felt really bad like puking everywhere bad and body hurts and and I had to get out of that house before anybody drank anything more um plus I didn't forget these guys didn't seem to 
be the types to get up before like two, three in the afternoon. Anyway, so I hightailed it out of there and I got back on the road to get back down to Florida and I literally have a, um, a towel in the seat next to me and the Miata, like in case I throw up driving, which I've done plenty of times. Like this is, this is nothing. This is, you can puke and drive. It's, it's a well-known fact. I've, I've, I've done this many times. You just put a, a piece of clothing or something that you think will contain all of the barf, um, pretty close to you, like in a way that, you know, arrange it kind of like in a large cup fashion. And, uh, that'll usually take care of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I get out of Atlanta traffic. I get off of the fucking bypass traffic, and I finally get down to Florida. And um, I'm setting in for the night, go to get something to eat, come back, lay down. And uh, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning with my back going crazy, like the worst back pain I'd ever had in my life. Uh, and I've had some crazy freaking back pain. Like, like this back pain was so bad. I thought that I was having my, like, like I, I thought that my kidneys were dying or something or had exploded inside of me. Um, cause it was just in that part of my back. And I thought this is too much to be just like regular kind of, um, disc oriented back pain. And, uh, <sighs> By the way, the cockroaches in this house, after it had been sitting empty for a little while, after my birth mother lived there doing whatever it was she was doing, these cockroaches were the size of fucking hamsters, you guys. So uh, I decided not to stay the night, two nights in a row, and I went to a cheap hotel. Uh, or more accurately, the uh, motor lodge, you know, days in, that, that kind of thing. There was one at the end of the street that I checked into. Suffice it to say, this house was gross there things had happened there that I still can't quite piece together that just didn't make any kind of goddamn sense so I uh willed myself back to sleep one more day of that and uh I woke up again at three o'clock in the morning this time spastic so like what spastic is is you're laying down you get you feel pain, but the moment you feel pain, your body like slams together like a like a a folding chair, like some kind of weird like cartoon folding chair, and your body just goes choing, and you don't have any you know choice in the matter, and uh, and then that makes the spasm feel worse, and it just kind of creates this cascade and a cycle of pain, and uh, so I. Um, I was checked into a motel at that point because the roaches in the uh, house were just too fucking terrifying. And um, and I asked the guy at the at the window at like six o'clock in the morning. I asked him where the nearest ER was, and he said, you know, just just go over Pineda Causeway, hang a left, go a little ways, and then on your right there'll be a brand new shiny ER. So best of luck to you and off I went in my Miata I could barely use the uh, pedals you know I, I, I shifting gears was was giving me spasms every time I had to shift a gear I was in the car and I was just shaking like just these violent like spasms of pain and um 
boy, I'm going to shorten this or else this this will just take forever. Look, a long story short, I that was the beginnings of a of an infection in my spine. That happened right around my birthday of that year. I I, I wasn't fully diagnosed with the actual infection until June-ish, late June. Uh, I, I, I was weeks. It was weeks that I was sick before uh, anyone, and I had been to the ER at least a dozen times with it. Um, I had also had DVTs. I, my, I turned yellow like Lisa Simpson because um, I had uh, some kind of autoimmune hepatitis. So, like, basically everything went to fucking hell. Uh, it was just everything. It, by the time I was fine, it was all said and done, and I was in the hospital for the last time after this traumatic uh, ride in an ambulance, because uh, I wasn't going to go back to the ER by myself under my own will. But I was not going to set foot in another ER, by golly, no. Um, but uh, so my family shanghaied me, and uh, you know they they had to. You know, use the sheet to put me on the the backboard and stuff, and then and then it. I, I know it took some effort, but they managed to find uh, every curb they could run over on the way out. They ran over the curb uh, coming out of my driveway, and then they ran over the curb making a left hand turn to uh, to the uh, expressway. Like, how do you even fucking do that? Anyway, then going into the parking lot at the hospital like they'd never been there before fucking shit you guys anyway so yeah this 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 was a massive infection in my spine and what happened after you know being in the in the hospital for four months or so with this massive inspection infection in my spine was it i was left with some some chronic issues after that and these chronic issues have manifested um, as uh, myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is ME slash CFS, chronic fatigue sy- syndrome. We do not like to use the term chronic fatigue syndrome because this is not just being tired. This is your brain um, swelling up. This is your brain swelling up. That's It's a whole different ball of wax. Um, so having had the DVTs and also having issues with neuroinflammation, I am, of course, concerned about the uh, safety of an mRNA vaccine for just for me, in my case. Preferably, I would have waited for Novavax. I would have waited for something else that, that wasn't Moderna. But um, I I was under a lot of pressure from my family, um, and I don't blame them. You know, it is what it is. I also noticed as I was, you know, weighing all of this out, I also noticed that the symptoms of long COVID are exactly the same as the symptoms of ME-CFS, except for there's added respiratory chronic issues. So, you know, I figure if I've already got the uh, neuroinflammation that long COVID leaves you with, I sure as hell don't need the added uh, pressure or, or challenge of, uh, of the respiratory symptoms. So, you know, I, I thought that 
you know, let's 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 take the shot, see how it goes, and uh, and uh, we'll go from there. It'll be good to just you know have this have this done. So we go down to Target to get my shot, me and my husband, and we put Benadryl in our pockets, you know, because. Uh, you know that's 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 one of the things for neuroinflammation for this you know it's which is on a spectrum with mast cell activation blah 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 um i've had reactions to vaccines before i have had reactions to medicines before i know what it's like to have anaphylactic shock uh i have my throat close up to you know have that whole syndrome and be rushed to the er um but i was smart enough on the way to the er to take a benadryl and by the time i got there i was um i wasn't critical anymore the way that i had been critical i was i was passing out and uh and and uh, my, I, I went in to wake up my husband. It was early in the morning. I was getting ready for work, and and um, I was in the, I was going through the doorway. I remember, and um, it felt like I was losing consciousness. And I was like, "Oh shit, that's not good. That's not good. That's one of those things." I had woken up with a migraine, and um, so uh, so I went to tell my husband, you know, because this is a, you know, you know, do you want to? you want to inform somebody in the family if if you think you're having some issues with things and and I was like hey 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 3D I think uh oh shit I think my tongue is swollen fuck and uh my tongue was swollen I couldn't talk like I didn't realize that I couldn't talk because generally I don't talk to myself in the morning around the house but as I was having to uh explain to my husband why I was uh uh, gonna need a ride to the ER. Uh, you know, he he had some questions, and I was completely unable to answer them because I I, I couldn't speak. Anyway, um, we get to the ER, and of course they gave me a shot of Benadryl, and you know, blah blah blah. Anyway, so I have some amount of vaccine hesitancy, and fairly obviously, why? I have read a lot of the research on either side about what the risks of mRNA vaccines are for people in my disease grouping uh, and, and also people on the spectrum of mast cell activation, MECFS, neuroinflammation, all of that blood clots, etc. And so I think I have this thing licked. I thought they were going to introduce Novavax by August at least. And uh and so far no Novavax. So I, I went ahead and got the Moderna shot. Now immediately when I got the shot, immediately, if you've ever had a CAT scan with contrast dye and had that flush, you know, that they warn you about they might tell you. Uh, so it might feel like you're peeing your pants, but you're not peeing your pants. That's just a flush that, that everyone gets. Uh, I had that the moment I got the shot, the moment. And I had such a funny face. I know I did because both the Target pharmacy assistant and my husband were like, are you okay? And I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. That's uh, weird. I will just take note of that and, uh, you know, wait my 15 minutes and 
go home and lay down. That would be the thing to do. Um, so, you know, chugging along, get back home. Um, the next 10 days, I slept 15 hours a day as if I had the flu. Like, it was um, it, it was kind of weird because uh, I'd say, like, the first five days were most classic with the chills and the and the fever and the body aches and all of that crazy stuff. And then for the next five days, it was just profound fatigue. I had to sleep. I had to sleep uh, a certain amount of hours a night and then wake up for a little while and then sleep a certain amount of hours during the day or else I just couldn't make it. My brain was just shutting down. I'm like, that's okay. Ten days, ten days to recover from number one. You know, that's that's rough. That's rough, but you know, maybe we'll maybe we'll get an opinion from my from my doctor or something. Maybe I'll talk to my doctor about this. This is a, a month that I have to see my doctor to get refills on my medications, so I will bring this up with her before my I have my next shot is uh, what I what I put in my head as an intention. I I didn't act on it yet. 19 days pass, 19 days away from my shot was August 15, last week, last Sunday when I did a show and I had one of the most remarkable, clear, bright days cognitively that day that I can remember having in a long time. And I got done with the show early and I wanted to walk the dogs because they hadn't been walked in a while and they deserve to go and get their yayas out. And, you know, too often we don't have the energy. So I take the dogs and we're going out the door and heading down the driveway. And my husband's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You are listening to port, girl. You are listening to port. What is going on? And I am like, what the fuck is listening to port? And he said, you're, you're, you're walking at an angle. What's what's the deal there? And I'm like, I am fine. I assure you, I am. I've never felt better than I like now. And all of a sudden, I was slurring my words, just like out of nowhere. And the funny thing was, I felt fucking high, man. I felt great. I had had this great day cognitively. I'd gotten all this work done, you know, and this this like crystal clear ability to think and this crystal clear ability for word finding. And, you know, it was just one of those awesome days. And all of a sudden I felt really giddy. And I was like, yeah, because I had this awesome day. And I'm like, it's just fuck that. So I was going to say, watch the dogs. We're going to walk and talk us. So, I'm walking at an angle and I'm slurring like I've had a, a bottle and a half of wine. And my husband's like, I don't think this is okay. And I'm like, let's try, let's try, we go, he sucks. And it's about half mile to the pond from our house. And the pond is like, you know, like one of those like milestones. Uh, we call it the DMZ. And uh, we get to the DMZ and, uh, and all of a sudden I can't feel my left side. Like, I just can't feel, especially, like, in the kind of inguinal area, the same area that got that flush when I got the, the shot, um, especially in that inguinal area towards the left side and especially on 
it's either the inside or the outside of my foot. I can't remember which. And uh, and then that that alarmed me. It was the it was the losing the <clears throat> the the control and the feeling on the side of my body that snapped me out of it. And uh, I, I was like, oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Let's just just turn around and go home. We'll just we'll just do that. Um, now would be a really good time to do that. Let's just do that. And so we turn around to go to go back and uh, we'll get back to the house. And I lie down and, you know, start to Google things or whatever. And I'm sure I took like a Benadryl. I'm sure I took whatever, you know, I could to uh, um, as a uh, mitigation, as a measure of mitigation, you might say. Uh, you know, these are these are things that you think of when you're a, when you're a migraine sufferer, you know. Uh that half of your body feeling is something that can happen with with certain kinds of migraines uh, that are very dangerous. So it is something that people with migraines do look out for. Um, so, but anyway, you know, like I, I, I lie down and that that note that I made in my head to call my doctor, all of a sudden that went active. So that was Sunday night. Monday morning, I woke up and at nine o'clock sharp, I call my doctor and I make the appointment to see her one day. I scheduled the appointment one day, because this is the earliest she had, one day before my I'm scheduled to take the next shot, the shot number two of Moderna. Okay, if you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, head on over to Anchor for the Lefty Lounge, where I finished this conversation, uh, and... Uh, there's a, there's there's more to it if you're interested. Uh, hop on over to the Lefty Lounge. I'll leave a link down in the show notes and uh, and there's no paywall. This isn't this isn't about going over to Patreon or anything. Just uh, see you over there. They had 30 minutes here and then I've got I got more time to share with you over there. So that's where I'll be with the rest of this story. Ciao. Okay, thank you, Brooke. Um, and one thing I want to stress. Uh, when we're talking about anti-vax activists, I am never criticizing those with legitimate doctor-identified doctor um, medical, serious medical conditions. All right, we're talking about people that basically just don't want to be vaccinated for whatever reason. And certainly there are, there's need for legitimate medical exemptions. So this is Janine again, and Janine Wallach with the Justice Report, and I will get straight into it, and I urge you to check into the rest of Brooke's show. Um, it's, it's an eye-opener. It is. All righty. So, Justice Report. You know, just when we thought that the lunacy surrounding COVID couldn't get any crazier, it did. In all over the country, we have these GOP governors and a few state attorney generals that are basically working hard to dictate to local towns and municipalities and, and more importantly, public school districts, whether they can enforce, at the very least, a mask mandate for students and all adults. Newsflash, these Trumpy governors insist that we can't have any mask mandates or vaccine mandates or vaccine passports, but they're wrong. Let's move on. So, we know that children under the age of 12 cannot be vaccinated yet, and they're the ones at most, at most highest risk. We're not talking about children that, for instance, again, have serious medical conditions, that God forbid, such as cancer or their organ recipients. Again, we always 
understand about legitimate medical exemptions. We're talking about the rest of us, okay? Uh, Anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers, and they're certainly in the same category, insist that as biological parents, they can't, they, let me go again, anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers insist that in their role as a biological parent anyway, that they can unilaterally control every decision connected to their children legally, except that legally they can't. In fact, no one. No one has the civil right to infect others, whether as a verified carrier or active case, whether it's COVID or tuberculosis, or indirectly as a potential carrier displaying no symptoms and refusing to test. That's the law, and we covered that last week. This week I'm going to look at the legal argument made specifically by a few governors, but the lightning rod for all the GOP governors is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and this is regarding his recent executive order that declared unilaterally by his, his wisdom, you know, I'm being, I'm being sarcastic, DeSantis declared that parents have the right to decide if their child attending public school will mask or not, or will vaccinate or not once they're of age. And he calls the parents' bill of rights. Now, apparently, Ron DeSantis had no concern for all the other children who will mask and who may have other medical conditions, such as, God forbid, children recovering from cancer or organ recipients, uh, which, again, can make them more vulnerable. And furthermore, as Brooke said earlier, DeSantis used a Brown University, I'm not going to call it a study, it's a paper, which he called an actual study as academic and legal cover for his dangerous decision to make our public schools what I would call living petri dishes filled with COVID. Essentially, Ron DeSantis, who wants to pander to the, Trump, the Trumpers in his midst for a 24th presidential run, is providing the legal cover to make our public schools in Florida the daily setting for what can only be called super spreader events. Now, the brown paper that DeSantis leans on isn't considered an academic study accepted by academia yet, and that's because it has not yet begun the peer review process. And in order for it to be considered an academic, an academic study that's been accepted, it has to thoroughly complete the peer review process in order to determine that it has merit, that it's valid, and it's, it's reliable. So in short, DeSantis is setting the stage for reckless child endangerment in our public schools. He's, he's providing, I guess if you use the metaphor, he's providing the fuel for this eventual COVID explosion, but he's letting the parents light the fuse. And he's wrong on all counts. And he's doing this in part, letting the parents do this, because then they're the ones that will be held legally liable. He could just claim, well, I was just following through on their civil rights. But as a Harvard Law School alumnus, DeSantis knows better. Furthermore, the Florida Department of Social Services and the social workers who work under that banner, as far as I can tell, are criminally enabling this governor on his, what can only be called, indirect killing spree. So first of all, with DeSantis in charge of Florida, no child safe as he continually panders to these idiotic anti-mask and anti-vax lynch mobs. And yet Florida has at their, the helm of their Department of Children and Family Services, an actual fully credentialed social worker in charge. She's a woman of color. 
She is somebody who is really trying to innovate. Her name is Siobhan Harris. And she looks, on paper, she looks wonderful. I mean, in my home state of Missouri, the woman that's in charge of the family services for the state has a background in business. She's not even a social worker. So that's fine, but apparently Mrs. Harris, who's in charge of social service in Florida, hasn't found her spine. She has credentials, okay, but she hasn't challenged the governor on parents who refuse specifically to mask their children. Keep in mind, children under the age of 12 cannot be vaccinated yet. So Siobhan Harris joined the Department of Family Services as the secretary in February 2021 after almost spending 20 years at the agency for healthcare administration. Okay. Uh, before that, she was responsible for administering the Florida Medicaid program. She has held positions in health and human services, providing services to children and adults diagnosed with HIV or AIDS, um, as well as children receiving services along this inpatient psychiatric program. Um, during this, her tenure at this agency, she's led development and maintenance of all policies for Medicaid services, and all this sounds lovely. And she's led development and maintenance on Medicaid services, including those focused on children with special health care needs. So what about the special health care needs of chronically ill children? What about the rights to go to school safely? Allowing parents to disregard the need to mask unvaccinated children endangers these seriously ill and disabled children. Where's Mrs. Harris on this dangerous and idiotic pathway that DeSantis is pursuing? Which comes first, her job or her duty as a social worker to enforce the law and protect children? Good question. So let's move on. Uh, one thing I will say is during her time as acting secretary, Mrs. Harris did lead the COVID-19 efforts in partnership with other state agencies and essential health care providers. That all sounds lovely. Again, when a governor is pursuing, using executive, executive orders, pursuing a policy where parents are allowed to criminally endanger their children, then no, those social workers need to get on the ball and challenge that governor. That is their absolute professional duty as mandated reporters, but it's also their moral duty. Now, Mrs. Harris has a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in social work, as well as a master's degree in business administration. She's qualified. It's a shame she doesn't have a spine. And again, why hasn't she instructed her social workers and her abuse hotline staff to fight these anti-maskers? So let's consider the anti-vaxxers that are refusing to vaccinate their minor children between the ages of 12 to 18. Um, we know kids under 12 can't be vaccinated yet. Keep in mind, last year there was a massive, fully peer-reviewed, double-blind study of children, thousands of children in South Korea. And what they found is that children from, I think, ages 9 to 19 are as good they're as effective a carrier of COVID as adults. And the last time I checked, nine years old was still in elementary school. So this does affect our schools. Okay? Does the refusal to vaccinate their child constitute legal child abuse, medical neglect, or reckless endangerment? This is the question. This is the legal question that 
all these social workers should be pursuing in spite of what these idiotic GOP governors are pushing. This is the question that the U.S. Department of Education and Health and Human Services should be pushing. What adults decide for themselves are one thing, but children have a special protected status. And no, parents don't have the right to do everything they want to. You can't leave your child abandoned in a car on a 100-degree day with the windows rolled up and no AC. You will be criminally charged. This is worse. So the question of the day and of this report is, does the refusal to vaccinate your child for COVID minus any legitimate medical exemption by a fully qualified doctor, does that constitute child abuse, medical neglect, and or reckless child endangerment? Now, we have some documentation from the U.S. National Library of Medicine and the National Institute of Health that was published in the American Journal of Public Health. And this was uh, an article entitled Parental Refusal of Childhood Vaccines and Medical Neglect Laws. And there is such a thing as medical neglect. And this, what they did was these researchers used the Westlaw Legal Database to search court opinions from 1905 to 2016. And they identified cases where vaccine refusal was the sole or primary reason in a neglect, child neglect proceeding. They also considered religious or philosophical exemptions from required school immunizations that were required at the time of these court cases. Okay, so we're going to skip ahead here. Doctors are really hesitant on this one because, let's face it, the legal profession has abused their, their law license, in my opinion. Uh, they are basically telling everybody their business, even if they don't have the requisite um, uh, credential. They tell doctors how to practice law. I mean, they tell doctors, I'm sorry, how to practice medicine. They tell teachers how to teach, and so on and so forth. And this nonsense needs to stop. But let's look at a few of the cases here, all right? So there was a case Arkansas in Arkansas, Coode versus State Supreme Court of Arkansas in 1964. Um, the allegation was neglect and it was immunization. The parents refused a smallpox vaccine for religious reasons. School refused to allow the child to attend because the kid wasn't vaccinated. The child was deemed neglected. The state law required immunization and attendance at an accredited school. The law does not allow in that state at that time for a religious exemption. And the refusal to vaccinate by the parents since it prevents the child from attending school constitutes neglect. You have another one, um, Manis versus State Supreme Court of Arkansas, 1966. Again, parent refused a smallpox vaccine for religious reasons. The kid was enrolled in a parochial school and through their church, which didn't, didn't require immunization. Um, the state law requires immunization and attendance in an accredited school, public or private. The parochial school is analogous to a private school, and the court decided that parental refusal to vaccinate constitutes neglect. Okay. We're going to move ahead. We're not going to do all these because we won't at the time. Um, let's move on here. There is one where... Let me move ahead. Um, here's one in 1992. Matter of Christine M. Family Court, Kings County, 1992. Parents failed to vaccinate a child with a measles vaccine. This was during a measles outbreak in New York City. The kid was admitted to the hospital after she accidentally swallowed some rat poison, and the doctors recommended that the kid be given the va measles vaccine. While she was there, the father opposed the vaccine on religious grounds. 
the court decided that in the middle of a confirmed outbreak or epidemic, failure to vaccinate did constitute neglect unless there was a sincere religious objection to vaccination. The court didn't find that the father's religious objections were sincere. Because the outbreak subsided at the time of the court's decision, the court declined to use its its discretionary power to order inoculation, but the kid remained with the parents. Okay. Um, Here's a case where Underwood versus West Virginia Department of Health and Human Services in West Virginia, 2013. The mother was unable to keep up with her child's immunization because she had an outstanding bill with a pediatrician and the office refused to see her child until the bill was paid. During a hearing in front of a state court judge, the mother admitted that failure to vaccinate constitutes medical guilt, no, I'm sorry, medical neglect. The state used the admission as the sole basis for a charge of neglect. Um, so the mother's admission was sufficient. The state did not have to independently prove so that neglect for the court um, decided that it was neglect. Although on that one, I would argue that they should have done something to assist mother. All right. So let's move on, all right? There's lots of cases like this. Now, let's look at the Florida legal statute on child abuse, neglect, and reckless endangerment. And the section on child neglect, section D, specifically says the following, quote, a person who willfully or by culpable negligence neglects the child without causing, without causing great bodily harm, permanent disability, or permanent disfigurement to the child commits a felony of the third degree punishable as provided in. So you don't have to cause great bodily harm, but you would still be charged with third degree with a third degree felony. That's in Florida. This is all from the Florida statutes as of 2020. Okay? So this is something that, you know, there's there's no guesswork here, folks. There just isn't. Let me see. There's one more thing here. Um, I just lost in my my spot here. Okay. Um, let's go here. Neglect of a child, Section E, under this statute from Florida, means, one, a caregiver's failure or omission to provide a child with the care, supervision, and services necessary to maintain the child's physical and mental health, including but not limited to food, nutrition, clothing, shelter, supervision, medicine, and medical services that a prudent person would consider essential for the well-being of a child. Um, And it goes on. All right, so here's the thing. We're in the middle of a pandemic, a pandemic that has killed over 600,000 of our fellow Americans in a year and a half time. A prudent person would say, if my child's too young to receive a vaccine, then my child needs to mask. Keep in mind, the CDC advises masking for children over the age of two, not under. Okay? That's what we're talking about, masking in the schools. We know children under the age of 12 cannot yet be vaccinated. That's another battle. But we also know that with the Delta variant, even people that are fully vaccinated need to wear a mask because they can give Delta to somebody who's unvaccinated. Okay? So this is something where, again, Governor DeSantis' executive order appears to enable not only child neglect, but reckless child endangerment, as specified by Florida's own state statutes regarding that. So where is the Florida Department of Social Services? Instead of worrying about 
receiving uh, the right amount of monetary compensation from Medicaid, how about going to bat for these kids who have irresponsible parents? And how about charging Governor DeSantis with sponsoring the conditions that would lead to such reckless child endangerment? Nobody is above the law, and that includes a governor, even a bully like Ron DeSantis. So where is family services in Florida? Apparently, as I said before, they're more concerned with obtaining payments for Medicaid services than they are in protecting kids from reckless or negligent parents, or for that matter, from Governor DeSantis, who's determined. He doesn't care if he endangers children as long as he's pandering to these reckless parents that are Trumpers so that he can have further political gains. And now we have proof of the governor providing the legal means to, as I said before, sponsor super spreader events in the public schools by his own words in his own executive order. Now keep in mind, private schools and get this, charter schools are not bound by this dictate. Keep in mind also that charter schools are actually public schools. They're funded by public money. So why are they exempt? Does that possibly have something to do with his wife's involvement in charter schools? Good question. So let's look at Ron DeSantis' executive order ensuring a parent's questionable right to recklessly endanger their own young children, as well as everyone else's kids. The executive order was issued July 30th, okay? And it's titled Governor Santis, this is the news release, it's titled Governor Santis Issues an Executive Order Ensuring Parents' Freedom to Choose. Yeah, they're free to choose death for their kids and everyone else's or serious illness afterwards. In the last two weeks, over 94,000 kids in the nation have been hospitalized with COVID in just two weeks. And school isn't even in full swing yet. And this was uh, a news release issued by his director of communications, Taryn Fenske. The exact executive uh, order is number 21-175, and it's titled, quote, ensuring parents' freedom to choose hyphen mask in schools. So he says, whereas a right to a normal education is imperative to the growth and development of our children and adolescents, and whereas last summer at my direction, Florida's Department of Education ordered schools to be open for in-person instruction for five days per week to ensure the continued well-being of students and families, and whereas schools, including those that did not require students to be masked, did not drive community transmission of COVID, and whereas despite recent Centers for Disease Control and Prevention guidance forcing students to wear masks lacks a well-grounded scientific justification. Indeed, a Brown University study analyzed COVID-19 data for schools in Florida and found no correlation with mask mandates. Yada, yada, yada. You can read the rest yourself. First of all, he's made several accusations there that he didn't back up. Again, DeSantis is an alumnus of the Harvard Law School. Surely he knows about documentation. He made the accusation that because they didn't mask and they went to school in person five days a week last year, it didn't drive community transmission of COVID-19. Based on what evidence, Governor DeSantis? Okay. Where is your evidence? And then he made a study, that he made, uh, I'm sorry, a statement also after that, saying that the CDC guidance forcing students to wear masks quote, lacks a well-grounded scientific justification. Again, based on what documentation, Governor, where's your proof? And then he mentions as his justification this Brown University study. 
All right, let's move on. You can read this yourself, but he's basically directed the Florida Department of Health and Florida Department of Education to ex immediately execute rules pursuant to yada, 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 um, using all legal means available to ensure safety protocols. For okay, so let me go back here. I hereby direct the Florida Department of Health and the Florida Department of Education working together to immediately execute rules pursuant to Section 120.54 Florida statutes and take any additional agency action necessary using all legal means available to ensure safety protocols for controlling the spread of COVID in schools, COVID-19 in schools that, one, do not violate Floridians' constitutional freedoms, two, do not violate parents' rights under Florida Walt law to make health care decisions for their minor children, and three, protect children with disabilities or health conditions who will be harmed by certain protocols such as face masking requirements, end quote. Okay, I've rarely seen such nonsense. As a professional person who worked with children with serious disabilities, including medical disabilities, when a child's medically, uh, what's called medically fragile, they wear a mask to protect themselves from other people's germs, period. Sometimes they have an oxygen container along with it. So this is nonsense. There is no constitutional freedom to infect others. That's pure nonsense. And parents do not have unlimited rights to make decisions for their children if those decisions potentially endanger their child. That's it. Okay? He's wrong. He's wrong on so many levels. So, again, remember that these, this executive order doesn't apply to private schools or charter schools, and that's another issue of hypocrisy. Uh, keep in mind, the Florida Education Commissioner, Richard Corcoran, along with Ron DeSantis, have been recipients of the coax in terms of, of a campaign contributions. Keep in mind also the Florida Education Commissioner, Mr. Corcoran, isn't actually an educator. He's another attorney. Why is he in charge of the education department? He isn't qualified. Most departments of education actually have a qualified educator at the helm with no less than a doctoral degree, not an attorney. So let's move on. But, you know, Governor DeSantis has become legally sloppy these days. Even with his Harvard Law School education, he forgot that presenting misinformation, which, let's just say it, it's academic code for lying, does constitute professional malfeasance, especially when the result of these, I'll call them lies, involves additional human suffering and quite possibly human death. And when it involves minor children, then the issue of child abuse, neglect, and reckless endangerment comes into play, and nobody is exempt. Everybody, every social worker, every teacher, every physician, nurse, you name it, they're all mandated reporters. And no one's above that law, including no governor. Now, this is further complicated by this very inconvenient truth that, no, parents can't, as I said before, they can't do any foolish damn thing they want to their children if those decisions are deemed negligent, abusive, or recklessly endanger those very same minor children. So, but let's start with the most obvious piece of it, misinformation. The very piece of misinformation that DeSantis used to justify these questionable rights of parents to not only endanger their own children by not masking, but everyone else's. And that's that Brown University study, which he cited. 
that Brown University study, it was written, it was written by a woman named Emily Oster. She is not an actual physician, not even a nurse. She's not a scientist. She's an economist at Brown University. Let's get that straight. Furthermore, it actually isn't considered, as I said before, a full academic study because it hasn't yet undergone full peer review, period. At this point, it's just an opinion paper and nothing else. But Emily Oster has become the poster girl for the anti-masker crowd nationwide. She used some statistics and her knowledge of economics to say, well, maybe it's not really so widespread. But again, with, that's not considered legitimate unless you include the work of epidemiologists. And an epidemiologist is a physician who specializes not only in um, infectious diseases, but the, the transmission of infectious diseases over massive populations. It's a specialty unto itself. <clears throat> Ms. Oster is not qualified to make this decision. But there was a fact check done. We're going to get to it in a few minutes. So DeSantis is using uh, this, excuse me, this Brown University uh, paper to justify, to make it look like his executive order legally has legs, which it does not. He's using his legal cover for himself as he panders to these anti-science Trump lunatics. So when everything falls apart, he can honestly say, you know what, I didn't make that decision. They made that decision for their own kids. They're the ones that are neglectful, except that he gave them legal permission. He enabled it. At the very least, Ron DeSantis and other governors that follow this should be criminally charged as aiding and abetting this level of massive child neglect and reckless endangerment. Boom. That, that sound you hear is mic dropped. But let's go on. Uh, the actual fact check was conducted by Victoria Knight, which ran in Politica, PolitiFact and some others. I also fact checked the fact checker and found the conclusions that Ms. Knight came to true by the actual source of the study, Emily Oster of Brown University herself. Well, the first thing I tried to do is I attempted to look up more from Brown University. And I clicked on what I found was the Watson Institute International Public Affairs, Brown University. I did this today. And what I received was page not found. For news 2021, DeSantis signed executive order allowing parents to defy school mask mandate. Emily Oster cited could not be found. My, that's convenient for Brown University, isn't it? So let's look at this piece that ran in PolitiFact. It's been quoted by the Tampa Bay Times and local papers in Florida. It really hasn't gained traction in the national mainstream media, though it should be. So the PolitiFact health check. Uh, Victoria Knight, the headline, August 11th, the headline was DeSantis executive order is misleading about lack of scientific support for masking in schools. And there's a quote there from the executive order saying the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recent guidance on students and masking, quote, lacks a well-grounded scientific justification, end quote. Again, Where's your proof, Governor DeSantis? Actual medical scientific proof. You didn't cite it because you don't have any. So DeSantis signed this on July 30th, and the fact check, this fact check was done August 11th. 
And this is Miss Knight is the one that actually outed Emily Oster before she outed herself. Okay, and she goes to <coughs> excuse me that specific um, section of the executive order. Quote. Whereas, despite recent Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, other CDC guidance, forcing students to wear masks lacks a well-grounded scientific justification, semicolon. Indeed, a Brown University study analyzed COVID-19 data for schools in Florida and found no correlation with mask mandates, end quote. Well, when you find no correlation between, let's say, mask mandates and I guess the increased incidence of COVID, if you don't have any other data, it's kind of loosey-goosey. All it's saying is there may be a pattern there you haven't found it yet. So this executive order, you think, okay, why did DeSantis do it now? Well, came right, as Victoria Knight says, quote, on the heels, end quote, of the CDC guidelines for reopening K through 12 schools. So he was going to, DeSantis had every intention of standing up to the Biden CDC, big man. Uh, the CDC recommended everyone age two and up should wear a mask, whether they're vaccinated or not. And the guidance was issued in part because the Delta variant is increasing, it's more contagious. And we've recently discovered that fully vaccinated people can still transmit Delta to non-vaccinated people. It was all, the CDC issued this guideline as well because vaccine for children under age 12 has not been um, ready yet. Now, throughout this entire pandemic, DeSantis has really sided with the anti-vaxxers and the anti-maskers, okay? And he wants Florida to remain open. In fact, he was quoted as saying, quote, in Florida, there will be no lockdowns, there will be no school closures, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> there will be no restrictions and no mandates, end quote. Now, President Biden has criticized his position. Furthermore, a group of parents from Florida filed a lawsuit to block the order. This is as documented by Bloomberg. Right now, Florida is considered a COVID hotspot. This is based on medical statistics. The Florida Department of Health reported there were 134,506 new cases of COVID just from July 30th to August 5th. And that's compared to a little, almost 12,000 new cases uh, over a week-long period beginning from June 4th before the Delta variant really started surging. Hospitalizations have increased. So let's look at this infamous Brown University study that DeSantis rests his entire justification upon. This study is not medically or scientifically sound. In fact, Victoria Knight, the writer of this, reached out to DeSantis' office to confirm the role of the study and asked if DeSantis used any other research as he developed this executive order. And his press secretary, Christina Pershaw, replied with a statement that reiterated the governor's position that studies have shown COVID spread in schools is less larger, that's less than with the larger community, and that science has yet to substantiate the effectiveness of masks in reducing what she said was, quote, an already low risk of COVID-19 in children. Um, she did acknowledge the Delta variant has been shown to be more transmissible, so it could increase the kid's risk. But, quote, that is only a working theory as no studies have shown that conclusively. I don't know where these people get these crazy ideas. First of all, masking is effective against a whole host of transmissible diseases as well as protection 
when you go into surgery and so on and so forth. Masking has been the accepted and proper medical protocol for all airborne pathogens as COVID is for decades now. I don't know where his, where Christina Pershaw or where Ron DeSantis learned their basic biology, but that's it. So Victoria Knight wondered about the key elements of the executive order, especially that Brown study. And if it's correct that, quote, forcing students to wear masks lacks a well-grounded scientific justification. So Ms. Knight reached out to Emily Oster, who's a professor of economics at Brown. She's the lead author of the study that DeSantis order references. Um, a lot of people, experts, have really become angry with her being an economist, not an epidemiologist, and I don't blame them. Um, she has argued in other articles uh, and interviews that um, her coming from a different academic discipline doesn't mean she shouldn't speak out. Well, she can speak out, but she, being an economist, no, what she has to say should not take precedence over what actual epidemiologists do, because epidemiology is that branch of medicine that not only deals with these transmissible diseases, but deals with the statistical effects over massive populations. In short, Ms. Oster is not qualified. But Ms. Oster also did explain, she did send a statement. Here is Emily Oster's statement. This is the author of the, the paper that DeSantis based everything on. Quote, we did not consult with Governor DeSantis on these issues. Our paper is currently a preprint undergoing peer review. It relies on data from the 2021 20, 20, school year prior to the emergence of the more contagious Delta variant. Current CDC guidance taking into account the current virus situation and all available data on masking suggests masking for all K through 12 students and staff, regardless of vaccination status. Boom. Can you hear me now, Governor DeSantis? Your own expert contradicted your statement. You got caught in a lie. Okay. This is really outrageous. It just is. Um, so, the researchers of this alleged study did find the staff rates of COVID were slightly higher <coughs> in districts with, that didn't have mask mandates, but the difference wasn't statistically significant. <coughs> but I wonder, did they break down those districts into elementary, middle, and high school populations because older children are very effective at carrying the disease? So looking at a district the entire, as one statistical number accurate, that is not a valid study um, setup. It just isn't. But remember, this is a mathematical exercise in identifying some limited correlation and all without medical or scientific supervision. In short, this is not a scientific study and should never be used to justify an anti-mask policy. And I'm sure Ms. Oster, Professor Oster knows that, which is why she issued that formal statement, because she doesn't want to be held liable. Okay? So at the end of the study, this Brown University study conducted by an economist, the authors offered a conclusion that actually undermines the, the executive order that DeSantis issued. <clears throat> to quote, 
<laughs> excuse me, we would emphasize that in general, this literature suggests in-person school can be operated safely with appropriate mitigation, which typically includes universal masking. It would be premature to draw any alternative conclusions about this question based on this preliminary data, end quote. Now, we did get, Victoria and I did get a quote from an actual epidemiologist, the University of North Carolina, um, Professor Justin Lessler. Um, he did lead a peer-reviewed study as documented by sciencemag.org that did find that masking in schools was associated, quote, with a significantly reduced risk of COVID transmission. And he said that he didn't think the Brown study showed any strong conclusions to support the census position. To quote Dr. Lessler, quote, I think the lack of correlation with mask mandates at the population level is pretty weak evidence. This is in an email. Also, mechanistically, it's a little hard to believe masking would not have some, uh, some effect, end quote. We have some other studies on masks in schools and COVID in children. Dr. Lynn Goldman, Dean of the Milken Institute of Public Health at the George Washington University and an actual pediatrician, said that masks are absolutely effective in reducing COVID transmission in children. To quote Dr. Goldman, quote, what the science actually shows is for children ages two and above, masks are not only protective, but needed. Those kids who are below the age of 12 cannot yet have the vaccine, so they don't have that layer of protection, end quote. Goldman also said the study showing masking to be effective, again, from the CDC in preventing COVID transmission. Um, the CDC guidance cites several CDC-led studies. Keep in mind, people say, well, those are bureaucrats. The CDC has studies that are run through multiple universities, and medical schools throughout the nation, just like the National Institute of Health. Wake up, people. All right. Independent researchers have also shown similar results as documented by abcsciencecollaborative.org. Masking was often combined with other efforts to reduce spread. That included improving the ventilation in a school building as well as filtration systems. And that these points really are total, totally counter this claim, that the central claim that DeSantis executive order is saying that the CDC school reopening guidance lacks a well-grounded scientific justification. Nonsense. Furthermore, Dr. Jeffrey Goldhagen, who is a pediatrics professor at the University of Florida Health in Jacksonville, was quoted, quote, I think this whereas of DeSantis executive order is just false. It's just patently false, end quote. So, CDC data also showed, and this wasn't just from the CDC, I cited the South Korean study as well, so there's international studies as well, that through March 2021, COVID infection and symptomatic illness in kids aged 5 to 17, quote, was comparable to infection and illness in adults aged 18 to 49, end quote. Um, studies, as documented by uh, Harvard, health.harvard.edu have shown that even kids with mild or asymptomatic cases of COVID, in other words, they're not showing any symptoms, they're either just a little bit sick or not sick at all, that those children can spread COVID to adults and, that, and those adults could develop more severe cases. So children can be, according to this article, quote, quote children can be significant vectors of disease, end quote. But apparently DeSantis is fine with, what, a potential nation of orphans? Because that's what's going to happen. 
kids don't mask, they come down with COVID, they bring it home. Is he really ready to accept responsibility for helping to set the climate for a nation of orphans? Because that's what we're talking about here. All right. So this is something that, you know, this hits me hard, okay, because I taught in the public schools in an impoverished district for 30 years. That's the other thing. Too. There, there are school districts and there are school districts. Children of color often lack the same access to good medical care as more affluent white children. We also know that the parents, it's the same thing. You know, we see right now the governor of Texas is another anti-mask, Governor Abbott. He's fully vaccinated, and he was recently um, diagnosed with COVID. He received access to monoclonal antibodies for Jernarod, which, again, that's another story. Access to these medicines that you or I would never gain access to. It's expensive, and for whatever reason, it's, it's in short supply. This is the treatment Trump got. Do you really think that if you come down with COVID, you're going to get the same type of medical treatment? No, you're not. In fact, our hospitals nationwide are so filled with COVID patients, which like 98% of them are unvaccinated people, that people with other serious medical conditions, whether it's cancer or, or heart disease or whatever, they can't get medical treatment right now. This, you know, another Republican governor, Kay Ivey, said this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. <clears throat> I'd go a little step further and say it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated and the childishly selfish. I have no problems with people that have legitimate medical concerns to get a medical exemption to the vaccine. Then, then mask up. All right? Burke's story is a perfect example. I never have any problem with that, but it should be something that is actually diagnosed by a licensed physician, not somebody, not a Karen going to a store and saying, I have a medical condition, I can't, no, nonsense, pure nonsense. I do have a problem with religious exemptions. As far as I know, the only religion that is against medical treatment are Christian scientists. There is no one else. And so, no, I don't accept that. See, the problem with people that don't want to mask and don't want to vaccinate is they don't want consequences. They're like, two-year-olds throwing a tantrum as they have a, a shit-loaded diaper. They want to throw shit at other people, and they don't want any consequences. That's not adult behavior. You make a decision, you need to accept the consequences. If you don't want to be part of society, you know, and you're able to get the vaccine, there's no medical reason for you not to, and you don't vaccinate them, and you don't wear a mask, then guess what? You don't have a right to be in public. It's that simple. You don't have a right to infect others. We talked about that last week on this show, and we're going to have another story about that. So, no, you don't have the right to infect others. In fact, there's plenty of laws in the book that can justify your criminal arrest and criminal charges for willfully going about and possibly exposing others. But that's another story. We caught Governor DeSantis in his executive order in his lies. In fact, they weren't just lies. They were incredibly stupid lies. I expect more from an alumnus of the Harvard Law School. But Governor Ron DeSantis has so little respect for the people in the state of Florida that he doesn't care what stupid lies he tells. 
And yes, I have everything documented. So let's move on to the conclusion here. In conclusion, okay, there is a body of legal cases which consider a parent's refusal to vaccinate their children a case of criminal child neglect. And while there is a body of cases for that, there, there's not much enforcement of this growing problem. Now, again, as I said before, while I can understand a legitimate medical exemption, again, provided by a properly licensed physician in writing as reason to withhold vaccine from a child or an adult, I cannot accept the, re the issue of refusal on religious grounds. And as I said before, to date, there's only one religious sect that refuses medical treatment of any type, and that's Christian science. No other religion refuses medical treatment. Subsequently, other alleged religious claims are frankly bogus. Vaccination isn't just done to protect each one, to protect ourselves. It's done to protect all of us. This is our societal responsibility. And parents who refuse to vaccinate their children, again, minus a legitimate medical reason, are endangering everyone else and everyone else's children. And frankly, they have no right to access public schools then, period. There is no personal right to infect others with potentially deadly diseases. Never has been. Furthermore, parents who refuse to mask themselves or their children in the public sphere, they pose a danger to everyone. Wake up, people. COVID is not the flu. COVID's not a hoax. COVID is deadly and COVID is airborne. Anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers don't have the right to infect others with this deadly virus and the idea that they would attack our most vulnerable, our babies, our children under age 12 is despicable. And even more evil are selfish, overly ambitious politicians like Ron DeSantis who craft executive orders which aim to prevent any mitigation strategies in order to pacify and pander to these insane anti-vaxxer, anti-masker Trump lunatics. This all ties back to Trump. Governor DeSantis knows better. He knows the law is a Harvard Law School alum, and yet he's placing everyone else's children in mortal danger so that he can benefit politically. His argument's all fluff and no substance, and he knows it. He's just trying to wait out the clock. These Republicans figure eventually this will come to court. And eventually, when it gets to court, even the most conservative judges will toss it out because legally it has no legs. But by then, the damage will have been done. Enough people will, will have COVID, will have, will have died from it, the economy will tank, and that's been their aim all along so they can regain power. They don't care how many people die. They just don't. Okay. And when I say DeSantis' argument is all fluff and no substance, keep in mind the single study, the only thing he cited as justification for his executive order was a study from Brown University, and it was conducted by an economist and not an epidemiologist. And even then, the author of that study, Emily Oster, clearly stated that masking and other mitigation measures were necessary, especially in the schools. So Governor Sanders lied. He lied about the nature of the study. This was discovered in the fact check, and yet this foul man is allowed to remain in office. No office holder should be permitted to remain in office when they actively seek to endanger the public, which DeSantis is doing. 
we have Republican governors like DeSantis leading, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> this is asthma talking, leading this, what can only be called a confederation of dunces, as they push to pass laws forbidding local governments and school districts from implementing mitigation strategies such as vaccine and mask mandates during this pandemic, which keeps evolving. And again, vaccination and masking are the only mitigation strategies we have. How many people have to die? And these GOP governors, and again, DeSantis leads the most craven attack on our collective well-being, are placing our most beloved demographic in danger, namely our children. Since children under age 12 can't yet receive the vaccine, they're potentially either in mortal danger or they, would, they could risk having serious illness, including neurological deficits and intellectual deficits, all coming from adults who selfishly refuse to vaccinate and selfishly refuse to mask themselves or their minor children. This specious, nonsensical argument about personal liberty and personal rights to make the decision to not vaccinate and not mask isn't just selfish and childish. It's legally wrong. It has no legs. Governments do have the right to mandate vaccines, and they have a right to mandate masking as a mitigation strategy. There is no personal right to infect others at will. So no, as I said last week, this is from last week, no, Virginia, forget about Santa Trump sitting in his Mar-a-Lago palace or Santa DeSantis kissing Trump's ring, and yes, that is a mafioso reference. I intended it. Try to comprehend a simple fact that none of you COVID denialists are, you're not James Bond, you're not LTK, licensed to kill, but that's what you're doing. You're essentially committing acts of negligent homicide through reckless endangerment. And Republican politicians like DeSantis are guilty of conspiring to incite these foolish COVID tantrums, just like the Pied Piper leading them to drown. But you're not merely deciding for yourself. You're deciding for all of us when you refuse to mask against an airborne pathogen. You don't have that right. You don't have that right legally, and you don't have that right morally. And as for parents deciding whether their children would be vaccinated or masked, parents don't have total authority. As I said before, parents are required by law to see children in a car seat under a certain age for their safety. They're required by law to provide a safe and loving environment. Parents do have legal obligations of care and legal limits of parental authority. They do not have the final say regarding a child's welfare when the parents are either negligent, abusive, or recklessly endangering that child. Parents are not allowed the liberty to leave a young child, as I said before, an infant in an overheated locked car on a 100-degree day for hours because, you know, that results, you're going to have a dead kid. The parents are then criminally charged as they should be. When a parent or a politician like DeSantis aids in a bet in the creation of an unsafe or neglectful situation for children, then they can and must be criminally charged with either child abuse, neglect, or endangerment, at least to the point of aiding and abetting child abuse, neglect, or endangerment. It's the law of the land. And yet where are Florida's social workers charged with protecting our children? Why aren't they screaming foul? Can you hear me, Mrs. Harris? They're doing nothing because they care more about their per- their jobs, and they do about, do about doing the right thing. And now that we have DeSantis threatening to pull funding from public schools that maintain mask mandates, he is essentially sponsoring what can only be called super spreader situations. 
and that criminally abuses and endangers our most precious resource, our children. So in conclusion, you anti-maskers out there, I, I really don't give a damn what you think of me. Because frankly, you're just a bunch of stupid bullies and everybody's backing down to you. And I say it's time to stand up to these stupid bullies. They do not have a right to terrorize us. So to all the COVID Karens and the COVID Kens, you started the fight, but we will finish it. Don't let power-hungry politicians like DeSantis, Greg Abbott, Parsons in Missouri, or others sacrifice anyone's children on the altar of political ambition. And that's what Ron DeSantis is doing. Don't let Republican politicians like DeSantis provide the grounds for super spreader lynch mobs with the idea that they are indeed LTK, licensed to kill. That's our show for tonight. I hope it helped. I hope that you all received some, I don't know, some wisdom from it. I live in a state that has a governor just like DeSantis. Of course, Governor Parsons, who is also a Republican, he conducts his fascism with a smiley face like a good old boy. But the fact is, it's just as deadly. We have schools about to open, and there has never been a mask mandate in Missouri. And when the vaccines first came out, Governor Parsons put somebody in charge that was absolutely unqualified to, to, uh, to supervise vaccine dissemination. It was criminally misdirected, in my, my opinion. Uh, places like St. Louis and Kansas City were virtual vaccine deserts. And I just don't believe that Mike Parsons is that stupid. I don't know. Maybe he is. But understand that this is Progressive News Network, and I try to always provide quite a bit of documentation. But this has a progressive slant, and I won't apologize for it. So those of you that don't like my attitude, the fact that I'm an aggressive progressive, well, there's the door right there. Take a tantrum elsewhere. Because here we will defend progressive ideas. We will expose the criminality of the bigots that call themselves conservatives. You can believe what you like, but you don't have the right to push your beliefs on other people, and you don't have a right to infect others. We keep saying it over and over again, but somehow it's just not getting through some of your thick little skulls. You know, we have a saying here in Missouri, and it's quite simple. But one thing we can do is we can stand up to the bullies in our midst and make sure that the law is followed. We can make sure that the children are protected from everyone, including governors, that put them in reckless in danger from idiotic parents. It's the law of the land, and we're going to follow it. And Governor DeSantis, Governor Abbott, I hope you look good in orange. That's our show. Good night, and God bless.